Hey, this is PJ Souls from Halloween Carry Rock and Roll High School and Stripes, and you're listening to the Midwest Monsters Podcast. Totally. <laughs> gentlemen welcome back to another exciting episode of the midwest monsters podcast i'm one of your hosts grizzly abner and i'm joined by professor wagstaff venomous Vinny, hot toddy good to be with you again friends we're going to jump into a newer franchise tonight and it's hard to say newer because it's a little older we got Vinny tearing the table apart over here next to me uh and uh we're starting with the insidious franchise so i just want to throw around the table here for some opening thoughts about insidious uh what do you got um i reacted really really well uh when the first film came out and it's been something i can't really put my finger on with the franchise in general because i don't have a problem with it um at all actually i've i've enjoyed the films but at the same time it never comes to mind as something that i love uh, in particular, but every time I watch them, I enjoy them. But even as I go into the next one, which we'll talk about, it's never like just this love fest with them, but I think that they're good. Mm -hmm. So look forward to talking about them. Cool. I, that kind of mirrors my feelings on it as well. Uh, I think before this episode, I had seen everyone except for the most recent one. Um, and there were ones that I just kind of, when I had HBO or something in the past, I saw it was on and thought I'd check it out. And again, I enjoyed them. Um, but nothing blew me away. They're good, but yeah, I, I, your feelings pretty much mirror my own. Um, <clears throat> I've seen them all as they came out. I think the first one I wanted to see, it was probably at the time, probably one of the scariest movies I think that had came out. Um, I probably, it looked good. I wasn't expecting it to be as scary as, as it was. Um, and then as each one came out, I went and saw them. I think as a whole, it's a good franchise. So um, I kind of agree. Like, Insidious is something I think about a lot. But then um, it's not something that I'm always like, oh, they got to they gotta break down the door and make the next movie. But then every time they come out, I'm excited to see them because they've been, I think for the most part as a series, like each one's been pretty solid. Mm. The first time that I watched the first one, I was kind of underwhelmed by it. Uh, I was indifferent. I wasn't crazy about it. I didn't hate it, but, uh, I decided after they went on and made a two and a three and a four or well before the fourth one, I thought, you know so what? You eventually just topped on the train. Based on hearing that you all liked it, I've decided that I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> now I thought I needed to, to faithfully revisit the first film and, uh, watching the first film a second time around, knowing what I was getting into, 
I think what turned me off to the first film was just uh, the first time was like the whole astral projection thing because it became a little too sci-fi for me, if you will. And uh, but then going back into it a second time around, knowing that that was kind of how they were handling things, I was able to kind of let go of that and just dig into it. And I liked the first movie better the second time around. And then um, I have opinions about the rest of the franchise. But overall, I think it's a strong franchise. I think it's fun. And it just gives you reasons to fall in love with Lynn Shay all over again. So that's my thoughts. Very good. All right. Let's dive in to the first film known as Insidious. So Insidious. Sorry. Uh, 2010, starring Patrick Wilson, Rose Byrne, uh, Ty Simpkins, Lee Wanell, Angus Simpson, Samson, sorry, Samson. I want to talk to Samson! Had to happen. As we're all racing towards the finish line. <laughs> Barbara Hershey and Lynn Shay, uh, directed by James Wan and written by Lee Wanell. Cool. Uh, and don't forget the fabulous music done by Joe Bashara. Yeah, I think uh, I think the music, like even at the scene one, the the, the strings and stuff like oh. that. I think the music's very effective in these films too. Um, yeah, it's interesting because as the the franchise went on, I thought the music was unbelievable for one and two, and then by three, I had to like start checking to see is Joe Bashar still doing the music because it's just a bit of a departure the, from it, one and two. It became came more quiet. I will say, uh, speaking of music, the use of Tiny Tim. Oh yeah. So just even rewatching it, like I, I, I will admit this: every time I watch Insidious, there are parts, even though I know they're coming, they make me jump, and I always get a little. Uh, it definitely puts me on the edge of my seat, even though I know what's going to happen in this movie. Tiptoe through the tulips is not a song <laughs> that I would have ever thought for a minute like would be creepy to use in a horror movie. Whoever had the the foresight to come up with that was genius because. It works so well in this movie. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I definitely wanted to make sure Joe Bashara got a shout-out. I'm glad you mentioned that right out of the gate, because a lot of times I bring up scores, and at a certain point I start to question myself. I'm like, am I that tired asshole? People are tired of hearing me mention the score. But I throughout these films, I'd never really fixated on before with the previous viewings. I couldn't stop thinking about with these and how that was what was catapulting yes. the effectiveness. Yes. No matter what element of the story they were telling, be it scary or sad or mm-hmm. anything. Yeah. <laughs> we just picture Professor sitting in a cardigan next to his record player. And don't forget <laughs> to bring up the soundtrack of this film. It's a phonograph. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So um, there's... This family, they move in to a new home, and uh, some odd little things are happening, and the, the little boy goes into a mysterious coma. Uh, Wilson, the professor's getting pretty nervous that I'm not doing too much depth on this. Hell no, it's the opposite. <laughs> um, and then uh, they're like, we have to get out of this house. And the, like I said, the coma is completely mysterious. They, they don't know he's got brain activity. He's not injured he did suffer a fall because something scared him in the attic um so like they're they're just convinced that too much wonky stuff is going on and they have to move to a new house where things get weirder why does it always take white people so long to move out of a house 
So, so what I like about this movie, though, is... All white people are rich. They should be able <laughs> so, to move whenever they feel like it. I like that they're ready to just bounce again, and then that's when they're like, it's not the house, it's your kid. So, unless you... Are you Spoiler. Gonna dump your kid. Yeah, gosh. I think one of the final straws is that she sees somebody in the baby's room, mm-hmm. right? And uh, that's when that whole exchange happens where she sees somebody, the alarm's going off, he goes downstairs to shut the alarm off, then the door gets busted open, and all sorts of chaos is going on. And, and like he believes her, but he doesn't believe her. And uh, yeah, so that's when they decide that they have to move to the new house. And what sp- sort of fun things happen when they get to the new house? So we get the little the little kid. I, I think this movie's good too because if you watch, the little kid is like just hanging out in the one Ooh. room, facing the wall as she walks by. Oh yeah, yeah. that makes me jump every time. And I, yeah. I think this is effective for that. As if you pay attention, there's a lot of uh, spirits and stuff that that doesn't really they don't make it obvious that they're there. So you got to kind of like watch out for it. Uh, but I, I think uh, I'm trying to think of the breaking point before we call in. I think Barbara Hershey's, which is the mother's. The, the grandmother mm-hmm. starts saying how that this all similar things happen to the father. And then that's when they bring in um, Lynn Shea's character, um, Elise. And then we also get Specs and uh, Tucker. And Tucker is always eating. Yeah. Whenever he shows up in, the, in any of the four movies, he's always eating. He's a weird cat. Uh, yeah, let's let's just talk a little more about Tiny Tim. You know, he's standing in that laundry room, and then he's dancing while he's listening to the record player. <laughs> he's getting it. He's just flat he's out getting it. getting it. And, uh, and she goes, because I, I, I think that's too, is they do, um, I think they play on predictable horror films. Yes. Because she goes in, she hears a little kid laughing, and she goes and looks in the cabinet. You can see shoes, and she pulls it back, and he's not even in there, and he, he jumps out of the, the top of the cabinet, and... and Basically plays tag with her and runs off. Yeah. Which I shit, know. Shit my pants. I would <laughs> yeah. shit my pants. We have to be cleaning the floor on that <laughs> one. And it's, it's not really just James Wan. The franchise will continue to be really kind of textbook examples of how to build these scenes. Yeah. Um, they use just enough restraint to really get the suspense going. And that scene is a perfect example because we initially walk by the child is back to you, which is terrifying because there is no jump to it. It's just, you see it. And how many, I mean, it, they really put you into the elements like with her walking outside and looking back in through the house. That's how we are in real life. It's not some, uh, kind of built up cinematic moment. They're putting it like, how it is, how your mind kind of messes with you glancing back into the windows of your own home. Well, that's even like the, uh, even in the baby's room. Yeah. It's not a full shot of something. It's a glimpse. Right. That they even leave it to you. Like, you know, you saw it too. Right. But at the same time, it's so nondescript that again, like any good classic horror, not showing you as much makes it creepier because you fill in the blanks with, your mind fills in the blanks. Well, and, and with uh, we just mentioned Josh's mother, uh, Lorraine, played by Barbara Hershey, arriving because she's had a dream oh, about oh. seeing the figure standing next to Dalton, mm-hmm. and so we instantly are kind of on the edge of our seats listening to our st- the story because we're already feeling like we're starting to get a little bit of explanation as to what uh, we 
kind of been seeing all these random things and now there's some sense being put to it with this. But we also give you a chance to see faintly the 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 creature, the entity in the corner, and then bam, like oh, a, like a fist time. to the jaw, there it is in the moment in broad daylight behind him. It's one of the best jump scares, you know, since 2000. <laughs> and, it's just fantastic. And I'm glad that he has come back since Star Wars <laughs> Episode One: The Phantom Menace. <laughs> And that Darth Maul is doing that well. Is, that so, is not, that's Darth Maul's brother. That's a real side story. Uh, Darth Maul's brother, Darth Terry. I was confused at first. I, it confused me at first with the Darth with the Maul. kid Dalton who was in the coma because I thought this was a prequel to Roadhouse. Roadhouse. <laughs> I think another thing I like about the this film and the series is it's it's not like the children that see the entity or like one person like. Like the whole family is is touched by their own experiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think another scene which you kind of touched on was the the baby's room, but the baby monitor gets me too because oh yeah, I feel like you're you're almost like leaning in to hear what the hell is being said over the monitor as as the character. The, is. Everything is done well from from the lighting to to the angle that it's shot to the way the sound is mixed. Like everything with this movie is done extremely well. So and then um and then we go from there. We start talking about the uh, the bride in black that the father was attached to. Um, also equally equally creepy is the bride in black character. Am I saying that right? Bride in black, mm-hmm. man in black. <laughs> well, not man in black, whichever. Man in black. So they contact Elise. Elise comes. Specs and Tucker are there, and Elise. Tells them we have to go to a place called the Further, and she talks about how Dalton does astral projection, right? Which he can leave his body to go into this other realm, and and they start telling the dad, "Well, you could too, but we hypnotized it out of you." Um, and this is after they tell he. This is after he tells her to leave. Although we talk about the photographs too. Yes. So we talk about, and we, we see your f- series so of pictures. photograph. <laughs> Every time I do it makes me laugh. By the way, uh, <laughs> folks, this is the part where either you love us or you hate us. For doing this kind of if this is your first time listening, this is how it goes. So <laughs> either uh, invest and stick with it or, or just go ahead and tap out. Yeah, Darth Paul doesn't tickle your fancy. We're not the show. <laughs> So yeah, we we see a series of photographs where in each one, uh, the woman in bride and black, woman in black, I think it's bride and black, bride and black, yep, soon to be man in black, but uh, in each series of photos, we see uh, the entity a little bit further away, and then each one keeps getting closer to where you eventually see the hand, and then I think she's just standing right behind him, mm-hmm. um, and then that's when we found out that he was they suppressed his memory. To hypnotize him. He still has the ability to... Recall them. Yeah, but... If they let him. Yeah. It's to kind of close that door to keep... To have kept him from wandering. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing. Dalton is... That's just the thing. He's lost. He, he is... He, he is, also is... He's he, gone wandering. He also hates to have his picture taken. Which is oh, that's true, too. too. So, yeah. So Dalton, coming back to the mysterious coma, is that he's not necessarily in a coma, medically, per se. It's that he has wandered off spiritually in and this has left his body and so he's lost and he can't get back to his body 
the dad now needs to use his abilities to go get him and bring him back before this Darth Maul. Yeah, because these entities will now, once they know a human vessel is empty, they will try to claim it. Which explains all the different ghosts that are, are following the family. Yes. And it's interesting, too, because then this is where we start to take Juan and Winnell's knowledge of the genre because they start to blend elements. Uh, it's not another possession movie. It's not another haunted movie. But we've kind of got a marriage with some of those things going on mm-hmm. because you have them kind of jailed in their own home within yeah. their own family with what the child is going through. And I think that the further uh, is what <clears throat> holds these movies together and makes them special mm-hmm. because we get fantastic elements, but they never go fantastic with it. Mm-hmm. The further is basically uh, parallel. Yeah. It's it's the same spaces we're walking in most of the time. It's just really dark. But there you can have terrifying creatures and introduce whatever the hell you want without it ever being so far-fetched that it takes you out of the suspense. Right. And that's what I think special right from the get-go with, with this franchise is that they have this vehicle that they can go back to time and time again. The, the further also reminds me of uh, the Upside Down in Stranger Things. Right, mm-hmm. the same kind of idea, and that you're occupying the same space. It's just an alternate dimension of that same space. I yeah. thought of that. Good call. Very, very similar. Hey, sun shines on the dog's ass every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> I get a good idea in this whole head of mine every once in a while. Uh, yeah, and let's talk about in that further how creepy all the ghosts in the further oh, are. Yeah. Just from the smiles to the screaming to yeah, yeah, very, very creepy. So, um, finds Dalton, mm-hmm. rescues him, brings him back, and then... From the, that terrifying spot, the kind of lair of the demon, where he's like in his workshop yes. with the music blaring, he just <clears throat> looks absolutely like a maniac with yeah. that music going in there. It's, right. it's very scary. And this is a point I want to bring up here and now, because I think we're going to broach it in each film, is just like, I think, uh, while I think it has a consistent stream of mythology. I think that there are a lot of inconsistencies, like with what happens, like what these creatures are between the demons and between the ghosts themselves and like just what they do and what they're capable of. It's just very, very different from like the demon in one versus the, 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 the bad ghost in three versus the key demon in four. Like it's just, it keeps adding to or change. I don't want to say changing the mythology. It's not changing. It's just like each film does something a little different than some of the previous ones. I I like that each film has like a a central entity that's, that's bad and, and is the, is the problem. Yeah. So in this one, it's the, I mean, we, we talk about the bride in black, but the, the central, villain in this film is the the demon with the red face the red face demon yeah um redmond 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 <laughs> so uh they get back and well, Dal- dalton gets back oh yeah dalton gets back. so dalton gets back spoilers but um and i can't think of patrick wilson's character's name but josh, josh. we sure think that josh is back so uh so josh wakes up and he wakes up in front of Elise. Elise uh, senses that that's not Josh. Does she touch his hand? Is that maybe she sees the demon's hand? She takes a picture, and it, the picture is. And he flips out. He's like, "Why did you do that? You know, I don't like my picture being taken." 
And then Josh kills Elise, but we find out that it's not Josh. It's the when we see the photo, yeah, and the display. Yeah. So it's it's actually the bride in black has taken over Josh's body, and then his wife comes in. She finds the camera. Finds Elise dead. Finds Elise dead. Sees a photo that we don't know what she sees yet, and then the film ends. I think it's another thing that turned me off the first time around watching it is not knowing that there were going to be sequels. That's a pretty unfulfilling ending. Yeah, it's yeah, that pretty, that is true. Pretty unsettling. that is true. So I think that was one thing that that kind of rubbed me wrong the first time around. But now knowing that there are sequels, it's a pretty big cliffhanger. No, it rubbed you right. Yeah, oh, uh, all the right places. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thinking that was a Johnny Gill rubbed you the right way. Um, one of one of my main complaints is uh, Renee's song that she's working on. Uh, it's one of the worst things I've ever heard. <laughs> she should never. <laughs> ever continue to try and make any music. I mean, that sounds like a 12-year-old wrote it. So she's no prince. No. And there you have it, folks. Uh, anything left to say about Insidious 1 before we move on? Um, just excellent modern horror. Yeah. Uh, and one of the best, probably since Poltergeist, non-R-rated horror films. Yeah, we'll no, that's a good point. I, I love that uh, people... Because honestly, I could give it. I give two shits less when a movie's rated. The only thing that bothers me is if I know a movie was rated R and they 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 butchered it down to get a larger audience. That yeah. bothers me. But like The Ring didn't need to be more than what it was. It was PG 13. Jaws, if it was PG 13 existed, probably would have been PG 13 instead of PG. So I could care less what a movie's rated. And this is a great example when people bitch about R rated films that. Not every movie like has to be R-rated. Yeah. There were, you didn't need gratuitous anything. I don't need cause... titties and coot coot to be a good horror <laughs> film. Coot coot bingo marker. <laughs> yep, use bingo marker. Uh, Though I do one appreciate last thing good to say about it. Uh, if I can locate it, I will share it on our social media. I met Tiny Tim once. Really? At a, really? At a circus. He was at the circus yeah. in Richmond. What? Yep. Doing what? Was he like attending he, or was he part he of it? He played. He, he performed played. with the circus. Oh, wow. I saw that shit. There's is, a picture. Were we at the same circus? No. Oh, just kid. Yeah. No, he, no he's a big grown man. Grown man. There. Yeah. That could. Uh, Did they advertise that he was going to be? Yeah. There? We might have been at the same circus. Yeah. That can be some insidious There's a picture shit. Of me with him signing something for me. Well, I'll be. Well, the more you know. Friends, go to your local I sold, circus uh, and look for tiny. I kids. sold my autograph for a He-Man, He-Man figure. For what figure? For a He-Man figure. <laughs> All right, moving along. It's like uh, Tim Burton before Tim Burton was around. <laughs> so uh, Insidious Chapter 2, 2013. Uh, all the essential cast returns. Uh, added cast member Steve Coulter. And directed by James Wan and still written by Lee Wano. Okay. What year? 2013. And this movie picks right up where Part 1 ends. Yeah. So this... Um... This one literally picks up right where the, the first one ends, except for a little intro, a little prequel intro. Oh, you which... always got to correct me. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we have checks and balances on this show. Um, I don't like to be fact-checked. Oh, wow. So um, you get this prequel intro where you go back in time to the original story of Josh when Josh was a kid. And uh, Lynn Shea's character, Elise, showing up to help. And um, I just have to ask you guys, how did you feel about them using Lin Shay's voice? I loved it with this 
younger person. Like it's not the same actress play, that's playing the character, so they got a younger woman to play a younger Elise, but they still use Lin Shay's. I thought that they were they matched up very well with her mouth movements, so it didn't look dubbed. Um, and also, you'll notice they were very careful to only show her move her mouth for part of what she said, and then they would change the camera angle. So they took away they took away the instances where it would look phony. Uh, I thought it worked well personally. Thought it worked out all right, but it was distracting initially. See, I felt and yeah, I think it was I think it was done super well. The yeah, they did it well, and they didn't do it a lot. Yeah. But initially, when you start to film with it, it's like, uh oh, yeah, what are we doing here? But it, it, they ended up executing it just fine. But I'd like to hear if there was a backstory on why. Well, I, I was going to say, too, uh, to me, this going in, so I, I've followed Lynn Shay on social media for a while. So she announced Insidious 2 and that she's going to be in it. So I'm like, my mind's just wondering, like, how is she going to be in Insidious 2 when she died in the first film? So when the movie started up, I was almost kind of like, man, is that all they're going to do is use her voice? So that's an interesting point, too, that I want to make right now while we're on that subject, is that the continuity through all four films in the franchise is Lynn Shay. And so I wonder at what point the de- decision was made to make this a Lynn Shay franchise. Especially after you killed her off in, in your the first, first film. Movie. Right. So I wonder like, at what point they were like, you know what? We want, like, especially Lee Wan L as the writer. Who- like, whoever what? made that decision he made the right her. choice. Yeah. They become great sure, friends. Sure, absolutely. I think it is the right choice, but I wonder... Because that, that also point. takes your... The fact that you have, I believe Lynn's in her 70s, the fact that you have a 70-year-old B-movie actress that most people love, but she's usually... She's usually bit role. So she's, she's not a, bit, a lead actress. She's a bit role, but she's always the scene stiller. Like Kingpin, she's in that movie less than 10 minutes. She's one of the most memorable characters. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think that's Lynn Shea, but... A uh, great story about that is that uh, they weren't going to give her that role in Kingpin because they're like, Lynn, we love you. You're too sweet. You can't play this role in Kingpin. And so she shows up to the studio looking nasty. She had like, the outfit. Yeah, she was wearing that outfit and everything. And the receptionist wouldn't let her in because she didn't believe it was actually her. She's like, no, no, I don't normally look like this. I'm Lynn Shay. I'm here to audition. And they're like, okay, you stole it. They're you like, got to have it. There's cigarettes and stuff out back. you know. <laughs> right. Um. But yeah, I just wonder at what point. I feel like there had to be a decision after the second film. I was gonna say, they, I think this film did it. Yeah, after the second film, that that Juan L decided, you know what, this, this is going to be about Elise. This is not about the further. This is not about any. This is all from here on out. The films are about Elise. So, um, so we jump back in, right, and we are uh, immediately back picking up with the first film, and um. Wouldn't you know, the family moves in with the grandma, and things are still happening. Hmm. So can I, from the start, I'm like, who the fuck buys this thing for their baby that the minute you touch it, it's like... <laughs> and I don't... Trust me, somebody else bought that for them. <laughs> Take this from a parent. <laughs> every time that thing went off, it, even after I've watched this movie several times, every time that thing goes off, I jump. Anybody else seen this film? (laughs) Did you guys watch past part one? No, I just figured I'd guess on the rest of it. Did you you watch it one and a half times? Uh, I think they did a good job of casting the younger counterparts for that opening scene of uh, 
uh, was a Barbara Hershey's character, mm-hmm. as well as Lynn Shea. I thought they did a good job of casting them. Um, yeah. I'll also point out that Elise, Lynn Shea's character, is a lot like, uh, similar to Lorraine Warren, mm-hmm. yes. I think, in a lot of ways. And so I think it's funny that they gave nods that uh, Barbara Hershey's character is named Lorraine, and Elise's dog's name is Warren. Warren. Which, you know, James Wan went on to do The Conjuring. Conjuring so. films. Uh, also, shout out, rest in peace to Lorraine Warren. Whether your stories were bullshit or not, you seemed like a lovely lady. Uh, how come dads in horror movies be getting possessed all the time? <laughs> <laughs> very Amityville. Yeah, very Amityville yeah. in this movie. Very Amityville. Yeah. I, I like, though, that... Um, so it's funny, I was going to bring up in the when we were talking about the first movie, but... The Bride in Black is played by a man, which I found out after I watched the movie. And I don't know if they were planning it, but in this one, we find out that the Bride in Black actually is a man. But his mother, which we see the, the mother goes to, who's horrible. Terrifying. Um, but that she, like, obviously at some point, we're going to sleepaway camp here where she wanted a girl. Yeah. But I love that Patrick Wilson is, like, flamboyant as, like, as he's possessed by the... The bride in black, who's actually a man girl. A man girl. Do we have we hit like a synopsis of this movie yet? Not really. Does anybody want to take the reins on that? I mean, we're basically. This is like Back to the Future Two horror edition. <laughs> yeah, kind of is. Yeah, you're not wrong. You're well, it's a wrong. slick narrative because we have Josh under investigation for this murder when we open the film. Mm-hmm. So you have, uh, you know, kind of a the stakes raised there in a time sensitive manner. So we're kind of waiting that out to see what happens. Uh, but at the same time. We have uh, Elise's assistants that she's been with in the first one researching. And through that research, we're learning much of the past as a reason to continually revisit what happened with Josh and Elise helping them uh, to try and help understand what we are presently dealing with. And I think that's, that's the turning point for this franchise because I think this is where most shit the bed. And I think that they found a, a slick way to kind of groove into both the future and the past, I but agree. have them feeding each other as opposed to just jumping around yes. to say, you wanted to know this, you wanted to know that these actually spin one narrative by running kind of yeah, alongside to yeah. where, because basically what you end up doing <laughs> is, is you have Josh in the further trying to get back and, so and he's, he's almost like like a lot of the haunting in the so film yeah film. a lot of the haunting from the first movie where the front door is open and the noise yeah. I heard is actually him trying to come back from the further which I thought was a you're, slick is probably the best word it was just it was creative they oh, did a nice man. job of tying that stuff together they never explain like they never explain why the door is, there's knocking on the door or the door comes open pianos playing yep. things like that. It was him it's, trying to get his wife's attention. It's like masterfully done. Yeah, it's done very, very this well. Film, yeah. This is because Lee Winnell wrote a lot of the Saul movies, and I don't think he executed it as well there because yeah. you didn't care about the people as much, and there were a lot more people. And I think this is really where he gets to shine because how can you have a, a sequel be more successful in what it sets out to do than what this one's doing? Yeah, because you're making. You're filling in in the past and the future from the original story, and you're adding an element of uh, heightening the interest in the original film to things you remember. And so now when you go back and watch it, that's more compelling. 
even though that wasn't when they originally made the film. They yep. just found ways to plug it in everywhere that they should. Yeah. And I think that's what's so neat about this because with the Saul movies, it would be right at the end. Right. You'd be like, oh, cool. It wasn't actually this, this, and this, but it was that. Yep. And that's fine. They, they didn't take the cheap route, but it wasn't all that interesting right. because you didn't care. Yeah. But this is where, I mean, it really just kind of, it gets you. It works. It, you know, and while we're gushing about how this is so well put together and connecting with the first film, I think this is the best film of the franchise. I mean, I think this film outdoes the first film and it goes like it takes like notions from the first movie and just runs with it. Like you're like these things, especially about the further that you think are just kind of bonkers and they should have left alone if they made a sequel. They're like, oh, that crazy stuff. We do in more. This one's it. a bonkers sequel, but yeah. it works. Yes, it this works. Well. James Wan un- Hinged. Yeah, this is a this is an uh, um, a drunken genius of a sequel. You know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. bonkers, but highly intelligent. You know, it's like a yeah. So so then you know we touch on the bright and black, <laughs> and then to me this is bright and black is the central ghoul in this this film. But also we get the mother who's mm-hmm. she's creepy in every scene. But also they uh, they tie in Barbara Hershey more into this film, and when she talks about. They start talking about the hospital and stuff. She's like, oh, I work there. Yeah. And then we get like kind of like the backstory of how this ghost probably attached itself to her son. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because Elise's spirit tells them you'll find answers at the abandoned hospital. So that was the thing. Yeah, so works. Specs and Tucker. And by the way, please don't ever just call them Elise's assistants. You pay those men the respect. <laughs> hey, buddy. That they we're deserve. not there in the franchise yet. They <laughs> were just Elise's assistants. The well, respect. We, then we get... <laughs> um, we also get the new uh, Steve One of them's the writer. Coulter. I just blew. Yeah, Lee Wanell plays <laughs> I can't. Uh, I can't think of uh, Steve Coulter's name in the, the film, but he's the in the backstory, he's a younger man. He's, he's another... Like, yeah, but he's the dice Claire. man, which that stressed me out, too. Like, when you realize Carl. that it's probably not Elise yeah. that's lured him to the house, and I'm like, motherfucker, quit rolling the dice. <laughs> like, what's behind your back? It's it's a knife. Just run. Yeah. Yeah, he's another clairvoyant of, of sorts. Um can I talk about how when they said so the hospital alone was creepy, but when they go to the bride and blacks house and then that whole scene gets me. Oh man. So yeah, before I say that, one of my notes is that this movie has so many jump scares. Mm-hmm. This one is definitely the most jump scare driven as well. But yeah, when they get to that house and they find that room full of dead bodies under sheets. Nah. It's creepy. <laughs> yeah, that's a no from me, dog. <laughs> you better call the authorities. <laughs> I can't imagine the smell. Mm, I can. <laughs> I can. I can think of some worse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, they do so much from this point, uh, especially with Dalton. When Dalton wakes up in his room and he sees all those ghosts in his room, like all of them just surrounding his mm. bed. Mm-mm. Yeah. No. Oh, oh we that that's the this is the one that has the the telephone with the cans. Yes. Damn that scene. Oh boy. So this is yeah, this is now at this point in the film is where we start doing a lot of that circling back to the first movie. Right. Yeah, where you see the, the thing that scared Dalton into falling to begin with was Josh. Was his dad. And uh, trying to get him from the further. Christopher Walken or Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Christopher Walken shows up. He starts warning people that they're going to die. Um, yeah. 
Oh, that's where there's a ghost. Don't know. There's a ghost in front of you. He's saying he's got your baby. And there's just that weird ghost. I think that's another thing about these films, too, is there's so many, like, just weird, bonker ghosts. So while Dalton's finding his dad, then they find Elise as well, as they go yes. deeper into the further. Because we haven't found Elise at this point. We yeah. think Elise is controlling the dice. Yeah, well, we think Elise has been talking out. to them, but it's not. It's it's the mother yeah. to the bride in black. Mother! <laughs> um. So they find Elise, and then it starts looping back, not only to the first film, but also... We're pretty much sober at this point, folks. Yeah. So. Yeah. You need to go back nut. and listen to my summary of the Beyond as a precursor <laughs> before you go any further if you need help uh, getting ready. So then they start looping back to the intro because of what Josh did as a kid, yeah. talking to things. Uh, we didn't to mention, things. too, that the boy the boy's talking to someone. Josh. So young Josh is actually... He's talking to an entity that you can't see. You can't see. And then, as you're going to say... That it's... Turns out. Oh, turns out it was adult <laughs> what Josh. It, what had happened was... <laughs> adult Josh and Elise. And he's helping them. So little Josh is helping Naturally. old Josh. And then I found $5. <laughs> um, let's talk about that makeup job. As Josh, his human Josh, continues to slip into madness and become yeah, more Yeah, as the entity the is possessing his body because it's not a living thing in a living body. It's, so it picks it's, its tooth out of It's face killing and... his body the longer it's in there. And he is slowly, basically decomposing. We also see him talking to spirits in the house saying like that they need to leave. You need to leave here. Which, which I think it's him telling his mother, you need to get out of here. Because the, the mother is still controlling... The Bride in Black. And they never make that connection back to the first movie, but when she hears Get Out over the baby monitor, it sounds a lot like when he's shouting Get Out yeah. in the house in the second one. They never make that connection, but I'm like, oh yeah, that's what well, happened. Then they made a whole other separate movie about it. But. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Of course. Yes. Get Out. Wonderful film. Uh, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, his makeup as he goes on, but then he starts to look like The Bride yes. in Black. Yes. Which was amazingly done what was the was it the guy's name parker yes parker posey <laughs> parker crane <laughs> parker crane um and i love that the twist in this film is that um nope we're not there yet uh well yes so the end is that um in the first movie the father saves the son but in this film the son saves the father that's a cute little twist. That kid, can, that kid can drop to sleep at the. We get the. Uh, the dying we boy. I was gonna say we get the. We get the like, I'll go in and get it. I'm <laughs> <laughs> gonna get that. I know shit's going crazy right now. Let me sit. <laughs> if I can. Uh, Luckily, just, he had narcolepsy. Just relax, so I can go so we, save uh, my father from the demons. We get the shiny. Uh, the shiny <laughs> this is after I just hit dad in the head with a bat. <laughs> How about that tea kettle throw? Oh man! <laughs> Woo wee! So after the the shining and and they all get back to their bodies, <laughs> and then uh, they're hypnotized so that both uh. of them will move on. So this family's probably I imagine at this point they're they're saved. But the very end, and this is where I always wonder where it was going to go. Saved by Jesus, <laughs> or <laughs> or the psychics. But uh, that so at the at the very end where we see uh, Specs and Tucker going to a new house because Elise as a spirit has guided them to go mm. to this other family to help them. 
but we see Elise's spirit walk in and see something that terrifies her so much, and then it ends. Which I'm curious, what the hell did she see? Because we haven't touched on that in since franchise. it happened. Uh, I think it's an open door for a fifth film. Honestly, yeah, could be. Leading to that, we get chapter three. Tw- Any final thoughts on two? Um, Before Todd just takes it away from you. <laughs> I already started. <laughs> no, I just thought the the bride in black and and more with the further. Were Excellent great, sequel. Besides all the other things we've mentioned, it was Excellent a strong sequel. And and I think we touched on it too. I think for horror sequels that make make money, they could have phoned this one in easily and made a shit ton of money. This was like inventive. Oh yeah, it was genius. Okay, Todd, third film. Am I allowed now? Uh, All right. <laughs> wait. No. Chapter three. <laughs> Paul back. 2015. Uh, so chapter three, it's a prequel. So now we have a little bit of a different cast. Uh, we get Dermot Maloney, Stephanie Scott. Dermot Mulroney. Whatever. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Ang- Angus Sampson and Lee Wanell return, as well as Lynn Shea. Um, so this one is pre 2010. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Elise is not dead at this point. It's at the beginning. It says it's years before the Lambert haunting. And then, uh, this one is written and directed by Lee Wanell. I think at this point, um, James Wan, I think might've been on fast and furious at this point. Yeah. So Wan is just listed as the producer on this one and part four. So, so Lee took over directing duties as well on this one. Um, yeah. Do you want we do quicks? Hot, hot takes? Hot takes. Hot takes. <laughs> uh, I'll just say real quick, it's it's a serviceable film, but it's the weakest in the franchise. I disagree. I agree. Uh, I, I, this is what I say. When you say it's the weakest in the franchise, that comes off as derogatory. However, I feel that for a horror franchise, and this goes all the way to the last movie, this is a solid franchise. Yes. Oh, yeah. This, yeah, like, I still this, this. It, so, yeah. A lot of our other uh, people's favorite and famous horror franchises have really shit the bed by four. Mm. By four, things are rough. Three and four in these, they're still absolutely they're serviceable. They're to make quality movies. Yeah, yeah, they're still quality money. films. So saying <laughs> that it's the weakest in the, in the series may sound derogatory to begin with, but I think that... That's if it's out of context. Yeah, it's like a low-ranking Tarantino film. Yeah, yeah, still yeah, yeah. Like it. So to touch on that, I will say I like each movie for different things. I think part three is way scarier than part two. Hmm. But I like each movie for different things. So did yeah. you say your feed, your input? Or? Yeah. All right. So on this one, prequel, uh, we get new characters. Um, I can't think of the young girl's name, but we get a young girl. She lives in a, an old an old school apartment building. Her mother recently has passed on. She, she has actually been trying to, uh, to reach out and, and get her mother to, uh, to talk to her from beyond. And then she actually will uh, visit Elise. And because she knows Elise has been a psychic, we find out Elise has her own tragedy where her husband had recently committed suicide and she doesn't want to want to reach out to the dead. Um, and, she like leaves her house briefly. She goes to an audition and sees some stuff in the balcony. When she goes out, there is a mysterious figure waving at her. And then, even though I know it's coming, the damn when the car hits her, man, that's it's brutal. That 
car crash is oh, out of nowhere man. and just fucking brutal. Makes my butt spit. <laughs> man, on like, in, on like in the 90s, early 2000s, when if a car hit you, it would explode. <laughs> yeah. This is one of two of uh, people getting hit by a car, or as I put it, getting smoked by a car. Uh, in the past week that I've watched that both about made me shit myself. Um, what was the other? Uh, has anyone seen that Mel Gibson movie called Edge of Darkness? Mm-hmm. When that chick gets, car. gets out of the oh. parked car and gets smoked, I was like, ah! That, that movie's brutal. Oh, yeah. But the reason why I think both of them work so well, this is not a Mel Gibson podcast, but <laughs> I think the reason they why both not? work so well is because of the way the framing is done. We're so used to people being framed like... I think we all agree that we like the Final Destination movies well enough, but the way the shots are framed, you could tell something's coming. You're anticipating. Yeah, there's so many things where people get smoked by a car or something, and you kind of see it coming. Whereas both of these, like this one, you down. And, and this one, you can actually you're like a, see you're headlights like a side from really yeah. far back, and that's not the car that hits her. Right. So it was it was well done. And that yeah. may have, yeah, they may have done that sleight of hand yeah. to I was like say they had as a franchise too, because how many times have we looked up with something over the shoulder? And expecting. this time, and that's with something kind of supernatural. Real world's coming at you from the right side yes. of the screen, and it's going to smoke her. Oh, man, that's a big old scare. Yeah, and we'll see that, especially the the, the surprise scares or like where they set you up where you think something's going to happen, and it doesn't a lot in 4. We'll talk a lot oh, about yeah. that in 4. So, uh, so she actually, I think she dies from this, actually. They bring her back. Um, she's... Wearing a cast on both legs. Yeah. She's uh, put in a wheelchair. She's kind of homebound. Um, and for me, this is where it's crazy because not a lot of horror movies are effective in daylight. But um, it doesn't matter if it's day or night in this movie. To me, uh, af- after she returns home, instantly the-, the spirit that's in her building has targeted her. And uh, I believe this one is referred to as the man who can't breathe. Yeah. So in this one we get a, a different spirit. Um, I'll, I'll the the scene that I think of right away is the she's well obviously there's the scene where she knocks on the on the wall to her friend and she finds out her friend's not home. That's grandma. Which then she blows that off. I'm like, man, I would have got up out of bed after that and moved on to the next room. But she just goes to sleep and sees some shit later. But the the thing that bothers me the most is she's like uh, talking to her friend. Um, over like FaceTime or whatever existed back then. We won't go into timeline or details. But (laughs) (laughs) uh, her friend is talking about, oh, is that so-and-so? He's standing right beside you. And then it just freezes. And then you actually see the ghost come out of like the curtain. It's broad daylight. And then, man, he, he just fucks her up. He like throws her on the floor, closes the curtains, makes it completely dark in the room. Shuts um, her laptop. Yeah. I was like, how that ghost know about laptops? <laughs> he just know that it had light. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I don't know. I think there's a lot of scares in this movie. and, and I feel like this one had the most jump scares out of the franchise okay. myself. Uh, Todd, I want to thank you for giving a shining synopsis. Uh, that was very good. The only thing I would add to it is that the, the family tension, that since the mom has died, the dad is like this dad who doesn't know how to, like, 
be the nurturing type. That's probably important to talk about. Yeah. So it's there's a lot of family well, tension. And, and the, she's got to take care of her little brother. I was going to say the daughter has a lot on her her plate because of that. She's trying to get into college so she can get away from this. And like and that's when she gets smoked by the car. And yeah. it screws things up even more and creates an even more tense situation at home. Which I think is great in a haunting film because... Um, you know, most ghost hunters in real life would say that, that they feed off a of negative energy or like malevolent haunts do. And so I think um, just an, an important aspect that they cover really well. And we also haven't mentioned too that there's a there's a lady, everybody in the building that thinks she's crazy. She's kind of talking about everything that's going on and everybody's just like downplaying it because they think she has like dementia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that woman passes on as well. And she's been referring also to... To the man who can't breathe. Yeah. Is that kind of a red flag? Yeah. Hey, the woman you're dismissing is nuts. Uh, and describing exactly what I'm dealing with. And they treated her with a lot of respect in the writing. In that when she died, like they, you know, her husband is like, man, I that was know a great scene everyone down the calls her the crazy him. cat lady, but she was my wife. She was a person. She had a life before she had this yeah. illness. Like, and I was like, man, for a third film in a franchise, as you said, like, they took a lot of these familial relationships very seriously. That scene right there, I would have been a little more uh, dismissive of in my younger years, but my father-in-law suffered from dementia yeah. before he passed away. And so that exchange where, you know, he's like, when he is saying she was a person, before, you know, she was somebody before this, that kind of hit a little more close to home for me and had a little more meaning, had a little more depth from this time around watching it. That's when I'll get you to care. Even if it's about a character who's just passed, yeah. he's still tapping into those feelings, which is only going to make the scares more effective, even if it's not directly related with somebody later in the movie. It's just kind of setting that somber tone. Yeah. So so then we, uh, I think we had got a scene too where she hears something upstairs that actually cracks the ceiling. Yeah. So it involves, early on it involves her dad, and he doesn't quite know what's going on, but he knows enough, they go upstairs and he sees like the creepy like tar footprints. So what I want to know is are those footprints do they belong to Tar Man or <laughs> Mr. Boogity? I'm trying to figure so, out. The man who can't breathe has emphysema and he smoked a lot, so it's cigarette tar. Cigarette. Cool. But uh <laughs> so at leading out after the scene I was talking about where the daytime scene in her bedroom, she's like, fuck that, I'm sleeping on the couch. And then like also because uh I feel like when she's at night, you know that dad's nearby. So I think like the next great scene to me is when she falls asleep, pulls the blanket up, up over her head, and when she wakes up, she's upstairs, a floor above, in the middle of the hallway. And then the man who can't breathe, you see him kind of creep up and just start pushing her down with the wheelchair. Yeah. And she ends up in that apartment upstairs. And the uh, dad hears her pounding through the floor. Fun fact about one of your co-hosts, Professor. That would scare me. <laughs> I thought you were going to say that happened. I thought, I thought you would say, was going to say that happened. There are plenty of times where Professor has fallen asleep on the first floor in his couch and yes. woken up in the third floor in his bedroom. <laughs> Sometimes it's awesome. I'm really tired. <laughs> um, Specs and Tucker show up on the scene because the little brother has been watching them. Now, this is when. They are just amateur ghost hunters before they've connected. And they haven't Elise. met Elise yet. Yeah. yeah, right. And Elise has declined the father who reached out <clears throat> for help. And we also have Elise is still dreaming and seeing stuff pertaining to to the daughter. Yeah. 
And uh, so they get Specs and Tucker on the scene, and they find out they're they're not frauds as much as they're just not really good ghost hunters. Yeah, they're interested. They're trying. Yeah, they're doing their best. Not the most accomplished. Yeah. But when, uh, I think once they are connected with Elise and they're using some of their tools to help, and uh, and Tucker is watching that monitor as he's moving, and he sees that <laughs> ghost, and he screams. <laughs> Or yells, I thought, that's exactly what I would have done. <laughs> He's like, I don't know, I've never really seen anything on camera, I'm just here helping this lady, seems kind of kooky. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> that was such a spot on moment for uh, the scene, I loved it. I loved it. Uh, let's talk about what I think is the most effective scene in the film. When uh, that little girl is kind of possessed and she gets up and she kicks oh. the casts off, off her, her legs. legs. I mean, that's, yeah. That's pretty hardcore. Oh my God. It may be one of the most effective scenes in the franchise. Like, it's just unreal. I was like, ah, oh, ah, oh, no. Stop. Because yeah, even when. Even when, like, when they start breaking it, and you're like, "Oh my God, this possessing is going to walk around on her broken legs," you know what I mean? Like, even that's bothersome to me. Yeah. Other than just the act of cracking them off, it's the idea of, "Oh my God, her legs are broken, and this thing's going to make her walk around on them." Insidious three, Castaway. Zing, 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 zing. We also get an appearance from the Bride in Black coming mm. at Elise in this one, so it's like. She knows. It's kind of like um, she doesn't know who that bride in black is, but she's had visions of her before, and she knows that that's going to be the death of that's her. That's what's going to kill her. Uh, it's still your thunder. No, no, no. How's that feel? Uh, how about if I take it a step <laughs> further and outsmart your smarty pants and say, "Oh, it's kind of weird," as though maybe James Wan would take that idea into a little film called The Conjuring Two with Valak the Nun and say, "Oh, that's who's going to kill us." Get on my level, Todd. <laughs> Conjuring two really conjured something up there. Oh. <laughs> he stole the idea. Yeah, Lee Wano had the idea. I talked to him. Um, so uh, I wish let's somebody would have helped on the nun. <laughs> hey, the nun was okay. Uh, and let's talk about that when uh, uh, the man who can't breathe takes his mask off. He looks just like Doctor Satan. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's favorite character. <laughs> Everyone's favorite from the Rob Zombie verse. Um, and then you get the mom helping at the end. And I'm just going to be honest with you, friends. It was a little touch on the um, impersonal, sentimental side of things, I think, as far as the franchise goes. There's a lot of sentimental moments throughout the I franchise. I felt like it was kind of weak. Yeah. There's a lot of sentimental moments throughout the franchise that you that do tug at your heartstrings a little bit. This one happened, and I thought... I kind of saw it coming a mile away, too. They're kind of cheap heat. Yeah, I kind of saw it coming a mile away, too. That's me. That's me. I need to put on a jacket. Y'all are cold. (laughs) (laughs) It was was a little cliche. Yeah. But I will say, I think that that adds to Elise's character and her purpose, Mm. that she is helping people deal with these things and kind of putting things to bed for them. Um, And so I I think at least it's, it services the story and the characters. So it didn't bother me as much if they had just piled that on to say, Oh, isn't that nice? But I mean, I feel like with her struggling with, if she wants to be doing this and how 
she gets called back to helping this family because she is reminded of what she did for the Lambert family. And so we're help, we're seeing her understand her purpose with it. And that even though she knows it's going to end her, that she's going to continue on with it and treat it as a gift. And so I think there's at least some payoff to getting to see her relay it to the family that reached out begging for help. Yeah. So, I mean, it at least... At least it has a narrative point. I would, I would say it's, it's just done in a way that we've seen hundreds of times. I, I would agree that it's not as strong, but it didn't take me out of the movie or anything. So. No, no, it doesn't take you out of the movie. I'll give you that for sure. I just thought it was like, eh, whatever. So, uh, wrapping up, you know, the the very end, the lease is kind of chilling, and then oh. Red face demon pops up for a jump. Man, scare that gets me too. It's a great one, jump scare for the end of a movie. That one makes me shit my pants. <laughs> we have, I think, officially we have all shit our pants at this stage. <laughs> yep, yep. Butt spit. Four, four shit pants to a franchise. <laughs> We're only on part three. <laughs> that should be our rating system. How many shit pants? <laughs> Anything else to say about three? No. Uh, serviceable, I think, is a. The perfect yeah. word for it. Yeah, a bad film. I will watch it again. It didn't drop down into to bad quality or anything no. like that. It's it's still good. If that had been a standalone movie, I would have enjoyed it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, it's it's all right. All right. Moving along to chapter four, the last key, twenty eighteen. Uh, this one is actually Lynn Shay's first starring role. They actually she's carrying the whole movie. Um. We see Angus Sampson return, as long as with Lee Wanell. Uh Newcomers, Kirk Ekerino. Yep. And uh, Caitlin Gerald and Josh Stewart. Uh, writer, Lee Wanell. And this one is directed by Adam Robitaille. Ro- Robi- yeah, sure. I've heard him call him Robitaille or Robitaille. We'll go with that. Robotel. <laughs> Robotel. Uh, this yeah. So this one's also a prequel. Uh, this one, though, to note, takes place in 2010. So it's a prequel right before the first Insidious. Yes. But following the events of Part Three. Yeah. So we're we're kind of running this. And then the o- the opening of the film we actually get before anything happened, which is young, uh, young Elise. 1953. So 1953, and they live in. Um, Five Keys, New Mexico, mm-hmm. and they live right next door to a prison. Uh, Elise obviously was born with these um, these gifts or curse, depending on Elise. who you talk to. Uh, it starts with uh, an inmate dying at the prison, and she actually knows everything about him, including his last words. Uh, when the lights flicker and her little brother goes, Do you see that, Dad? They electrocuted another one, and he shouts up, you're on the you're on the express lane to Hades now, Mister. <laughs> <laughs> Cracks me up. So we have a young Abner. Uh, <laughs> uh, the father is actually. Um, I would take it that he's scared of his daughter's gifts or doesn't understand it. Either way, like is very abusive that we see at the beginning. Um, I think we find out later. Yeah, we find out later. I don't. I can't remember how much. I don't want to spoil like the rest of the movie. Well, the dad's a real asshole. Yeah, so we we get that. Um, I'm trying to think of the scene with the whistle. Is that later in the film? Nope, it's this one. It says at the beginning. So um, the brother and sister go to bed. Equally creepy is she's talking. They're talking about death. 
She's talking to her brother up uh, on the top bunk. And then she like pulls the curtain open and sees that her brother's actually asleep in the chair. So she's not talking to her brother. She's talking to somebody else in the room. Um, I think the little brother, I think there's a little boy in the room. See a little kid run by. The little brother's awakened and terrified. And he, he's given a whistle by the mother who says that, you know, when you're scared, if you blow the whistle, she will uh, appear to, to help things. Hey, so it's like a dog whistle? Pretty much. Yeah. It's also one of the worst parenting ideas I've ever heard of. How the <laughs> hell are you going to get sleep? Okay. That's why you, you give a dog whistle, you can't hear it. So, uh, Who the hell is he calling then? The mom don't care. Not her. And then the child goes to placebo. Bed more terrified because that one's coming. So uh, the, ch- the children scream out. The dad hears it and actually canes his daughter uh, because sure. she won't lie to him and say that she's not seeing the dead. Uh, and then Elise wakes up in the present day for 2010, and then uh, they get a call that the the house she grew up in. There's a call that comes to her where the house is haunted, and they need her help. So uh, Elise, along with Specs and Tucker, go out in a cool ass. Uh, what was the name of the the truck? Oh, what did he call it? Like paranormal busters or yeah 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 but instead of Winnebago he had a funny name for it darn it <laughs> Ghostabago something, or something like that <laughs> so they uh, they all travel out to uh, Five Winne- Keys New Mexico Winne- to uh, to to find out the haunting of this house this movie gifts us with the semi nude scene that nobody asked for <laughs> Lynn Shay on the bed. I did Have you seen there's <laughs> something about Mary oh man <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but then too, you could see those cane marks across her yeah. back when that happens. Um, if you weren't a pervert, you would notice. <laughs> I did notice that. <laughs> <laughs> kind of hard to miss. Um, um, I think I failed to mention too, that he locks her in the basement. Yeah. It's probably important. Oh, and the, yeah, this is a big plot point. Go so ahead. the beginning, they lock her in the basement. Uh, she's hearing voices. Sounds like a, almost like a, a, a young girl. Calling through the this red door, and or do we get a red door yet? Yep. Keyhole, yep. and she uh, finds the keys, opens the door. It's actually a demon. Um, I'm not sure. Key hands, I guess, would be the name of this. Edward Key hands, I believe, is his sure. Christian name. So one door key fingers. <laughs> so Edward Key hands comes out key. and actually uh, uses the keys and uh, use like locks her throat, locks her from screaming. Um, I think it's Freddie Keeger. Like a the mom, thing. the mom comes down. The mom is is hung by wires in the ceiling, and then she wakes up. There you go. And her mama did. Her dad's like, "Look what you did, you little jerk!" <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the wrong kid died. <laughs> um, yeah. So they go back to investigate this house. Um, she finds her brother's whistle under the bed, uh, and I just gotta say, I, I love. Uh, Specs and Tucker are there, and uh, Tucker says, She's psychic, we're sidekick. <laughs> and the guy's like, What? She's psychic, we're sidekick. <laughs> he still doesn't get it. And someone needs to teach that man how to wear a hat. He's the only man I think that wears a hat worse than Donald Trump does. <laughs> uh, also, too, uh, Back to the father, played by uh, Josh. Josh uh, Stewart. Josh Stewart, yeah. 
well done. Josh, who showed up in some other films we've discussed, The Collector, uh, Hunted. Uh, I like that they cast him for this role. He plays it very well. Plays it to a T as an asshole. But that also that ties in to this weird guy who now lives in the house, and we'll talk about that more later. Other thoughts right now, up to this point, setting up. Set. Uh, just, I love that they realized prior to this film that Elise was what we're doing, and this is the ultimate diving into exploring her character. Yeah. As we uh, head back to the house where uh, so much unhappiness caused her to investigate further. Yeah. I was, I was just going to say, I think this is a strong franchise, and I like each movie, but to me, four is the weakest. Oh my god. Four is the weekend. I it agree. had less scares. Uh, but yeah, it, had, I, it had a good story, so I'm still invested. This is when we left the theater. Todd and I saw this together <laughs> in the theater, and this is when I anointed it the year of 2018 because we came out and he didn't like it all that as much as me. I was like, what? Because I, I thought it was great. Four is my second favorite in the franchise. Uh, I, I think that, the, again, it's a decent film, especially for Didn't the Didn't you four. just say three was the weakest? Uh, I'm torn on one of the two. <laughs> now, here, here, here's, here, when we say weakest, though, you're just trying to get. I don't know. I feel like all these movies are above par. Yes. So yes. when we say yeah, weakest, yeah. it's just in a great franchise. Yeah. 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 Three. I think. Uh, this is why I. Three. I think. Maybe premise wise, I don't find as intriguing. Four. This is my problem with four. I feel like that this movie tries to go to depths that these actors are incapable of going to. That's an interesting hot take. <laughs> I think I think that's my are my you problem. Saying before. you didn't think Lin Shay could handle the. It's not even Lin Shay. It's the act the actors around her. I don't feel like the cast around her is as capable as the cast she has been surrounded by in previous films. Okay. And I think story isn't the problem. This movie. I think the execution and the ability of the actors is the problem with this movie. It's more ambitious than the actors are capable of. I'll say another weird thing, too, is, and I don't know if I've checked out deleted scenes, but the previews had so much stuff that's not actually, like, different spirits and everything that were not in the actual film. And again, like I say, though, there's a big, big baby I say that, thing. but this is the fourth installment of a franchise that is still a solid movie. So you're saying it's the worst movie you've ever seen? Negative. Yeah. <laughs> Not <laughs> saying that. Uh, they go find Lin Shay's brother. Actually, he finds them. He finds them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're at a diner. Her nieces Willard. come in. Bruce Davidson. Yeah. Yes, Bruce Davidson. Yeah. Great actor. His daughters come in, and, and then he comes in, and... Uh, She's like, oh my gosh. Well, hey. we find out too that she she left him. Yes. She sees something in the laundry room and says, oh, come out and show yourself. My brother doesn't believe you're here. And then uh, the dad comes and is like, what are you doing? And, and acts like he doesn't see anything. And spoiler. And then uh, says, oh, you know, you, you screwed up. And she says, you know what? You're not going to punish me for this gift that I have. And I'm done. And she pretty much runs away from home at like 16. Skip the caning. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and run. I think I will not take the ass whooping this time. And so her brother is very bitter that, you know, A, she scared him all those years with telling him that there were ghosts in the house. And then 
you told me there were monsters in the house, but you abandoned me and left me with the real monster, our father. So, uh, can't blame the guy. Yeah. Can't blame the guy for being a little upset. So. And we meet his daughters, which is Elisa's nieces. Yep. Elisa's nieces. It's a new candy coming out. <laughs> Elisa's nieces. Mmm. Delicious. <laughs> I hope they're salted caramel. Um, so. They start investigating the home. And. Um, homeboy don't like that they're not just hanging out in the room that he told him was haunted. Yeah. He's got this room blocked off. It's Elisa's childhood bedroom. With just a desk full of Bibles. Do I miss something? But then each time, because where we where we lead, why did he call her to come investigate when shit's in the basement? <laughs> the spoiler, Todd. Um, you didn't spoil the whole franchise. <laughs> <laughs> you spoiled my life. Um, <laughs> hey, could you come investigate my house in a different part of the country? But when you get here, I only want you to look at this one little part of the house, not, not the whole house. And by the way, I can't wear a hat to save my life. <laughs> um, so they start digging around, and he's like, no, 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 you're supposed to be in that room. And they're like, well, we're just looking for the ghost. And a ghost keeps screaming, help her! Right? Keeps creeping up on Elise and screaming, help her. Well, they get into this room in the basement, and they think it's a ghost. And plot twist! Real girl chained up in the basement. That I didn't see coming. No. That they did very well. You got got. Yep. yep. Had three movies established of us kind of starting all to paranormal, familiar with what, and then all of a sudden, yeah, all of a sudden, oh no, we're talking about real true crime now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then homeboy is like, "Why did you have to go in my basement?" <laughs> he's got his gun, <laughs> and he's gonna kill them, and he locks them in, and then it's up to our boy Specs to save the day. I was excited that the psychic sidekicks finally weren't useless in one of these movies like <laughs> yeah. finally oh yeah because uh because you know uh josh kicks the shit out of him in two you know they're trying uh -huh. to help him as he's trying to stab old boy and uh yeah they're they're useless so nope they actually spec saved the day yeah. on this one i love his reaction he's just <laughs> shook up oh they, yeah they didn't try and he shook make up. the nerdy character be like, no, oh, I did what I had to. I mean, he was visibly upset, and I love uh, it being clarified to him. It's like, no, you just stopped a bad guy. Yeah. And I thought that was a nice little scene it, in there. It was. It was. Yeah, like, what I love, too, is, like, he, he, he hits him and then, like, pushes a shelf or a, a big uh, a oh, cabinet like, or an armoire. Explodes his head. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, boy, escalated quickly. It was the hat that exploded his head. Yeah. He had it on wrong, so <laughs> made it feel <laughs> Thanks for laughing. <laughs> so, um, they investigate further after they rescue this girl, but Elise still sees that there's a ghost in the house. Which is the the ghost that she saw when, the day she left. Yep. And come to find out that Daddy kept a slave bum, in the house, bum, too. Yeah. Come to find out, wasn't a ghost then. Yeah, wasn't a ghost then. So, back to that memory... Of her, the day that she runs away, she did not see a ghost in the laundry room. It was a real girl. And the dad pretended to not see the real girl um, because it was his slave. And because of the lease at that point, it had a history of saying she was seen. So her, her dad and, and the man that she just investigated the house for were both basically possessed by the same spirit. By uh, Eddie Keyhands. <laughs> 
<laughs> Come here, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's a scary Terry. It's a scary, scary Terry. Terry. <laughs> <laughs> Bitch. <clears throat> um, and so, as Elise is going down to try and, you know, figure this out, to take on Mr. Keyhands, to uh, <laughs> to free the spirit of this, this ghost girl, um, she then finds out that uh, her daddy killed lots of women. Right, finds these suitcases. It's very memorable scenes that she discovers. Yeah, she crawls in a, a like a air duct. That was fun in the theater. Yeah, there wasn't anybody breathing <laughs> in there because everybody's like, "Oh, it's coming right here." It's got, oh, uh, so, you know, she, she comes up open. to she comes up to one suitcase and people are like, "Oh god, oh god." She opens the suitcase and then when she goes to close the lid, it's framed in such a way that you're like, "Okay, jump scare." Nope. Second suitcase, open the lid, framed in such a way that when she shuts it, going to be another jump scare. Nope. A third time it even happens. But then that fourth time... It's in the suitcase. It, it was in the suitcase <laughs> yeah. the whole time. Look under your chair. <laughs> you get a jump scare. You get a jump scare. Um, we find out that the key demon has basically possessed uh, Dad and Garza. Garza was the new guy that had the place going. And... It's because of the key demon that they were enslaving uh, these girls, which we also failed to mention in the third film that the man who can't breathe was enslaving girls to make them his pets, right? Naturally. Naturally, as you do when you get emphysema. Um, <laughs> and uh, so the key demon is doing that. Get my Marlboro. And uh, Elise has the chance to, to whoop her dad's ass, right? She finds her dad in the further, and she, she kind of starts to get into it, and then she's like, wait a minute. You feed off of this hate, and I'm not going to do it anymore. And I think that's a wraparound back to why her dad was scared of her. Because she was going to figure out. She was going to figure it out. So her dad was scared of her because her dad was possessed. And so it was not her dad that was afraid. It was the key demon possessing her father that was afraid. How we mentioned that Edward, at this point, has got her niece. And not only took her voice away, but then put her in a coma. Edward. Finger hands. (laughs) finger hands. <laughs> I think we've called him 10 different names at this point. Yes. So, uh, that's right. So, um, the dad and the nieces or her brother and nieces come back to the house after this is all done because like, you know what? Everything's safe now. We're going to go back and get a look at the place. Uh, Freddie Keeger has taken her at Jenny this point while they're looking and, uh, and we are off the rails at this point in the Midwest Monsters podcast. Um, and ultimately, how, how does she defeat Keyman? So she she goes beyond the red door, and she's going to look for her niece. It's it's almost like the prison. Yes. So there's cells, and her, her niece is in a cell. Elise is put in a cell. And as they're opening doors, we're getting connections. Well, and then we also have her other niece that we find out who also has visions and has the same gifts as Elise. So the niece... No, I, w- I was wrong when I said earlier. This, it's when she opens this door and this one. Yeah. That's the one. That's when the boy falls That scares Dalton. In the ultimate, yes. uh, ain't that some shit moment. <laughs> it's like, you created all that bullshit yeah. by leaving a door open. Yep. Yep. Yeah, these... When you marathon these, they tend to run together. They can. <laughs> because they tie into each other so much. You need to make a point to write down how I want to watch them next time in a different order. Todd, what would you say the timeline on these is? <laughs> Uh, I said earlier, it's pre-early 2010. <laughs> no, the whole franchise. Yeah, the whole franchise. So Which watch, one's actually would one? Would you watch <laughs> Is three, this number four, one? one two? 
So these are in order. <laughs> the other one's simple. You just don't want to acknowledge that two parts of the oh, man, text I oh, was five and six. It's starting. <laughs> order in the court. Uh, it's in the order of that you can each go fuck yourself. <laughs> oh, wait, wait. Let's get back to wait, Teddy Glass. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The actual name is Key Face. Key Face. Key Face. Bo Key Face. Um, all right. So uh, everything is safe. All is well. And then who jump scares us at the end again? Well, wait, wait. Elise gets a phone call from the president. Not from the president. Obama to thank her for what she's done. <laughs> well, Obama would have been great. Yeah. So it's 2010. You're, that's correct. Now 28. I know my time. How long have we been with this shitty president? Oh, man. Time doesn't exist anymore in, the, in our current state. She gets a phone call saying that she assisted with this young man and his son needs help. So she's getting ready to go to the Lambert house. Wait, no, didn't she wake up after dreaming about him and say, she woke up screaming Dalton. She's, she? she screamed Dalton. The phone and rang. The phone rang. Yeah. So she's getting ready to go to where she would have died in Insidious. Yeah, close that fucking door. You probably wouldn't have to deal with it. <laughs> but, well then, yeah, we get uh, we get the goddamn, is it, is it Redfuss? Redfuss. Redfuss shows up again <laughs> to scare us all. However, these four movies made $539 million and all four of them combined cost $26.5 million to make. So there's going to be a fifth. So movie. you're saying this isn't the last key? Yeah, I would say the last key like has to deal you with killed the wrap up of four to start making your case for part five. Oh yeah, so part five's <laughs> gonna happen. Fair enough. Gonna happen. Maybe uh, we'll find out what Elise saw at the end of part two. Yeah, maybe I think it'd be a good. Maybe signal. now it'll be Elise Spirit Guide. Yes. All right. Well, that is the Insidious <laughs> franchise. Um, I gotta say I'm I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Uh, I would definitely recommend this to folks. Um, I would also tell folks maybe if like one and two don't grab you, like if you just like them, you may not need three and four. Like you could probably just grab if you didn't like there. one and two, you probably don't like horror films. Yeah, three. <laughs> if you don't like one and two, you're not gonna like three and four. Three and four hinge on your enjoyment of one and two. They're still yes. good standalone films, but they're more of a rewarding experience if you've enjoyed what's gotten you there. Certainly one of the better horror franchises that there are out there. Absolutely. Very quietly. Nobody's yeah. really well, yeah, talking and that's about it very as a franchise. It's just a movie every couple of years. And people are like, yeah, that was good. See, and that's the thing. Is Fright Rags making Insidious shirts? Mm -mm. Is Cavity Colors making Insidious I got shirts? Insidious panties well, on right now. <laughs> Prove it. Prove it. Dark Paul. <laughs> Do you want to see the last key? <laughs> <laughs> Keyhole. <laughs> Teddy Deadbolt. So, <laughs> spoiler alert, it leads to my man coot. <laughs> Abort. Two Abort. for one. Abort. Well, wrapping things up for the Midwest Monsters <laughs> Podcast, who I'm Grizzly Abner and I liked Insidious franchise. Hanging out with Professor Wagstaff. <laughs> Venomous Vinny. Hot Toddy. Stay scary. Yeah.